I think that the outlook here is very bright, but there still needs to be a lot of work done on the basics. You're listening to the Rotary Wing Show, a show by Helicopter Aircrew for Helicopter Aircrew. Each week we explore the world of helicopters with the people that fly and support them. Check out the latest on the blog at rotarywingshow.com or subscribe on iTunes. I'm your host, Mick Cullen. Welcome back to episode four of the Rotary Wing Show. In today's episode, we are heading to China to hear about the conditions on the ground there and the opportunities and some of the challenges that operating helicopters in China entails. We'll be talking with Dan Heath. Dan is an expat helicopter pilot flying from an airport west of Beijing and conducting flying training and charter ops. And as part of Dan's flying, he takes tourists up over the Great Wall of China. So you might have heard that the Chinese market is set to explode with a a huge demand for aircrew and machines, given the size of the country, the population, and the very small helicopter fleet that's there. One set of figures that is quite often quoted comes from 2012, when there was 300 privately owned helicopters on the Chinese aircraft registry, compared in the same year to over 10,000 in the US. And there's estimates out there that the number of helicopters will grow between 3,000 to 10,000 machines in China in the next 10 to 20 years. And as I say, you might be a little bit better armed with information to judge that rate of growth and where you think flying in China might be something that uh, you want to have a crack at. A quick shout out to all of you that have joined us on Facebook. The numbers there have really shot up over the last week, so thank you. And thanks also for the feedback and comments there. If you're not already connected, then you can head over and find us at facebook.com forward slash rotarywingshow. And of course, via the website at rotarywingshow.com where you can sign up to get email alerts and you get notified whenever a new episode goes live. Enough for me, let's head over and meet Dan Heath from the Great Wall Helicopter Tours. Dan Heath, thank you for joining us on the Rotary Wing Show. And uh, I know we chatted quickly the other day, but yeah, looking really forward to, to chatting today and going through uh, one, a bit of your flying that you're doing on the Great Wall of China, but also just the, the general conditions in the aviation industry in China and, you know, how you ended up there. So what's your nationality by, by birth? Let's, uh, let's start with that one, Dan. Yeah, look, I, uh, I was actually born in the United Kingdom, but I grew up in Australia. I went back to Australia uh, within the first couple of months of life. So I've grown up there and uh, I do, uh, I am fortunate to have two passports, um, which has been very good for me as I've uh, got older and worked in different places. But yeah, an Aussie by nationality, I guess, yeah. All right, your adopted son. That's right. Okay, and where are you now? If you want to describe where you are in China and how it relates to to other places people might have heard of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, okay. Well, I, look, I'm a line pilot at the moment uh, and do business development for HNA Capital Helicopters, which is based in Beijing. Um, the other name for our company is Beijing Capital Helicopters. We're part of the HNA Group. It's a big conglomerate, but that includes Hainan Airlines. Uh, Hainan Airlines is uh, probably one of the China's largest privately owned airline. We have uh, 500 jets uh, as part of the fleet, including 8787-800 Dreamliners. So, you know, the airline side of our company is very, very big. The helicopter company, by comparison, is pretty small. We have 
you know, a, a training school. So we have uh, Piston R22. Uh, we have two R44s uh, that were used for our tour operations and another 44 that's used for our school as well. And we have five AS350B3s and four EC135P2 Plus, three of which are managed. So do you guys so, be one of the, the bigger operators uh, helicopter-wise? Well, I'd say, look, we're, we're, we're probably uh, outside the top 10. It depends on if, whether you're talking about it in terms of you know, a wealthy parent or you're talking about the amount of hours flown. And, and I would say hours flown that we're, we're probably in just or just outside of the top 10. There's some big, there are some big operators here and some operators that have been around for quite a while. All right, Dan, and what's your average day? Um, you know, how, how close are you to the airfield? What sort of tasking are you doing? My focus when I first came to China and first came to this company was uh, the establishment of their flight school. We've got a Part 61 school with about 25 students now, and simultaneously I put all of the procedures, the safety procedures, the videos, you know, the entire tour administration and you know, set up together for Great Wall Helicopter Tours. We're the only uh, helicopter company offering tours over the Great Wall right now. Our airport's... Um, uh, located about five minutes flight from Bartaling. Now, Bartaling is probably the most popular tourist destination for people who want to come to China and, you know, walk the Great Wall. It's a spectacular piece of, of the wall that's been refurbished, I guess is a better word, by the Chinese government back in the 50s. But So we're five minutes away from there, but my day really is, uh, is a combination of some training still, and then also involved in new business acquisition, especially for uh, joint venture partnerships for the larger, larger contracts in China, uh, like power, uh, advanced training, power line, heavy lift, emergency medical services. So, it's pretty, the military, pretty varied then. Uh, look, it is, but, you know, this is a very young industry So uh, in China. So anyone who's got even a modicum of experience you know, is quite valuable here. They, you know, they say in the land of the blind, the one-eyed man is king, and I think I kind of fit that mould a little bit here. Sure. We might, we'll talk about, uh, you know, because I'm sure folks are interested in the Great Wall and, and flying along and what it actually looks like and, and the train that. But for yourself, Dan, how did you get to where you are now? Like what was your sort of career path uh, beforehand flying-wise? Uh, well, look, I started flying uh, a little bit in Australia, uh, ma- mainly in uh, rural settings, and I did a, couple, a, bit, a few hours of flying with some companies out of Moorabbin, but decided to chase the dollar in banking back in the 80s, and I uh, only came back to flying again really in, in 2010. I completed uh, the, the commercial uh, and instructor ratings, and most recently instrument rating at Mauna Loa Helicopters at who are based in Hawaii, on the Hawaiian Islands, which is an amazing location and a fantastic experience and, you know, really helped set me up for, for you know, what was to come here in, in China. Okay, and how did you get your start in China? What made you sort of make the leap across to there? Well, look, I mean, I, I think that, um, you know, I, like many other people, had read that China was going to be faced with a huge pilot shortage. I've read in places that they're going to be short of, you know, 15,000 pilots by next year. You know, the press really talk up the Chinese market. Um, you know, 
firstly, that you know that that kind of appealed to me. Um, I wasn't frightened of new experiences or challenges, having lived uh, outside of Australia since uh, 1990. And you know, I was particularly excited with the announcement from the Chinese government that they plan to liberalise the airspace and develop general aviation. So it just seemed like a really good opportunity. I mean, to, there was always going to be a very clear uh, opportunity for both business and flying, and and uh, I think that sort of fitted my profile quite well. So I um, I sent out a truckload of CVs, uh, combed the internet for bulletin boards, translated Chinese employment websites. I was pretty determined to get here, and uh, and I finally got a break with a company that was importing Robinson helicopters into South China. Um, I was their resident instructor, which was part of their sales technique was to bring an instructor on. So people bought a helicopter; they had they had um, uh, they had an instructor to work with them. Sure. And what kind of language skills did you have before going over, as far as Chinese goes? Oh, uh, pretty limited. <laughs> yeah. um, look, I mean, it's not a it's not a, an easy. I, I, I picked up a fair bit of Spanish when I lived in Spain re- relatively quickly, um, but, but you know you can't underestimate how difficult Chinese is. It's a very tonal language. Um, you know, I, I'd put on a few CVs that you know, blank, you know, Chinese language would you know wouldn't be a problem. Well, you know, it, it really is very very difficult. You know, uh, the, the language side we can't hear the differences between a lot of the words that they say. So. One word that's spelled like ma for horse, for example, or ma means horse if you say it one way and mother if you say it another way. So you've got to be careful. All right. So we'll talk about some of the operations you do and how that plays out. But uh, yeah. look, the Great Wall is just one of those iconic tourism destinations, you know, probably Grand Canyon in the US, Eiffel Tower and places like that. So there's going to be a huge amount of people going through and you know, if anyone had the choice of flying around there, it's going to be pretty interesting flying too. And obviously, once you've been flying in the one spot for ages and ages, it becomes fairly mundane. But what's the wall area like to fly over? What sort of trains are you at? You know, heights, temperatures, as far as a pilot goes. Yeah, well, look, I mean, the great we're, we're, where we are at Butterling, so it's about five minutes from uh, the main tourist area at, uh, at Butterling. It's about a thousand meters, Alto MSL. Look, the Great Wall area is. We, we get very, because we're in the north of China, we get some very um, changeable weather. Uh, but, you know, during the winter, for example, it gets very, very cold, but it's still very dry, you know, very dry air. Uh, and we get a lot of snow, you know, from January through until March. During the winter, summer months, it gets very, very hot. Um, we also, because Butterling, um, is basically it was a, a very important military or strategic place from a military point of view because there's like where eight mountain ranges meet we get a lot of those mountain winds uh ripping through where the our airport is so you know it can can be a little bit tough um particularly from say one o'clock in the afternoon through until three the winds can get up to you know 20 25 30 knots in terms of the you know terrain uh, look i mean there's not a lot there really we've got a lot of so we've got a lot of mountains we've got a lot of Pinnacles, so you know they're they're quite good fun, fun things to fly from a t- from a training point of view, and then the, the general Great Wall area. We have the old Great Wall, which is you know the last built in sixteen uh, the sixteen hundreds, 
And, you know, a lot of that's still rubble. But then if there's some other areas that have been in incredibly well preserved and then you get some really, you know, the, the stuff that's been completely reconditioned by the government for the tourists in the 50s. So it's, you know, it's a pretty interesting place to fly. It can be a little bit challenging at times, particularly with the winds. And, you know, we've got this one other thing that, uh, you know, everyone reads about in the press and that's the pollution and the pollution can get pretty nasty here and we can bring visibility down to a very small low level and uh, you know we've had to cancel a number of tour and uh, trial flights for example because literally we if we get up to a 500 feet we can't see anything um, and we've got obstacles you know, all the way up to 350 400 feet which are unmarked unlit and uh, you know, there are no VFR maps so we can't actually see where anything is. We'll talk about maps in a bit but is there anything like uh you know, VFR restrictions as far as distance go or, you know, helicopter VMC and, and things like that? Or is it purely whatever you're prepared to push in? Well, look, I mean, this from a simple, from a, from a regulatory point of view, there's no night flying uh, for us. During the uh, day, look, there's no restrictions. It comes down to pilot decision in terms of flying when it comes to the, um, to the pollution side. We don't have any, a lot of restrictions in terms of altitudes or, um, you know, both on the upper side or the lower side. Um, you know, all of these things are really just playing out. The general aviation rules are all pretty new here, so they're learning by experience. For someone who comes from Australia or the UK or, or um, I guess, the US who, who comes there, just for an idea of the pollution, like how many days of a month would we, we look outside and go, gee, that's, that's really bad? Like, do you become accustomed to it or, like, do you still have blue sky days? What's the sort of mix? Look, I mean, on it, today's absolutely magnificent, for example. You can see, you know, it's, it's like a, a beautiful, um, you know, spring day in Australia here today. But in a couple of days' time, it could turn back to being really nasty again. So during the summer months, it can get pretty bad. You've got to remember that the, the China's increasing energy uh, needs are fueled through burning of coal and coal puts a lot of that condensation nuclei in the air and you know with all of the other stuff that's going on from an industrial point of view you know you'll get pollution that will sit in for days at a time sometimes weeks at a time and again during you know so during the summer you've got the air conditioning and during the winter you've got the heating so you know we don't get a lot of breaks here in Beijing now it's not that way all over China but, you know, I f do the bulk of my flying within the Beijing, you know, aerial or 80Ks outside of Beijing. So, you know, it, it does impact us quite a lot. If we look at the, the wider Chinese market, Dan, what type of machines uh, would you see flying around and uh, sort of, you know, how many numbers are there? And what's the, the local air crew? You know, is it uh, Chinese nationals? Is there a large expat community? Well, I mean, if you're looking at the China market in general, you know, there's about 110 operators in Greater China, uh, about 100 on the mainland, and 10 of the largest operators make up for about 40% of the to total number of choppers. So when you're looking at, uh, if you look at the areas of growth within the market, uh, the top one is what you consider to be multi-mission or onshore oil and gas op exploration. There's a hell of a lot of that going on. Forestry, firefighting, air tourism, pest control is a big one, um, particularly for spraying the cotton fields here. Um, and then power line survey and repairs um, and 
ENG. Now, ENG is a very small part of the market. I have to say from operators' point of view, if it wasn't for state grid and the power line patrols, there would be very few other uh, operational helicopter companies outside of oil and gas. Then the next set of stages or the next uh, area of growth is offshore operations, and that's uh, you know where they're, where they're using the, the much bigger aircraft. China's basically got a huge energy requirement and their um, shallow oil reserves have uh, are very quickly running out. Um, so they're starting to look into further afield, um, some up to 350 kilometres out from the Guangdong coastline. So that gives you an idea of the types of aircraft that's going to be needed to service these oil fields. And the breakdown, I don't know, what's the expat community like for uh, imported pilots? There's not a lot of us here. Quite a few people have tried to come here a couple of years ago but found it almost impossible to get through the, um, the testing, particularly if they were going for a full CAAC commercial licence. Um, now, those procedures have, have been improved a little bit, but um, I would still say that there's only, only a handful of uh, foreign pilots here right now and uh, it's a pretty tight-knit community. Most of us know each other at this stage. And a lot of that comes down to the fact that it's still very difficult, very restrictive for us to fly here. Okay, let's talk about the, the flying side of things. And airspace-wise, mm-hmm. uh, uh, does it form an ICAO sort of setup or, or what sort of airspaces do you operate in? One, and that's called restricted. Uh, that's about it. I mean, we have 16 square kilometres that, have been, that has, has a blanket approval for training at Bartolin which is 80 kilometres to the northwest of Beijing, where our airport is. Um, There's a couple of other free flight zones around China, but every other flight on a general aviation level needs to have pre-approval from the military. Um, That used to be a three-day period or more for that approval. In some instances, that's come down to a few hours now but there's still no real classifications on airspace like what we're used to in the States or Australia. Wow, okay. And altitude limitations as far as um, height requirements? Mm, again, I mean, it depends on what your mission is going to be. For example, if you're, if you're flying on the, the, up in the plateau doing um, you know, uh, mag survey work, you would need to tell the, the uh, military you know, exactly how high you needed to be or you know, what the MSL level would be. If you need to do any other sort of survey work or mapping work or charting work that needed to be at high altitude, it would be on a mission-specific. All right. And radio-wise, we spoke before that often when you're launching out um, from battling there for the, the, the for the war flights, you're doing a lot of that mm-hmm. no-com? Yeah, and I mean, look, the radio is not so much so much of a drama here because of the, 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 the lack of traffic, but also... Um, the requirement for English speaking on the radios is really only there for international airports. So you're not going to find a lot of these local domestic airports with anyone who's, who's got English anyway. So, you know, normally operations here are done with two, two pilot and, you know, just because of where we're flying most of the time that, that your other pilot's going to be a Chinese speaker anyway. Okay, sure. So look after that sort of things. So the legislation body there or the regulator is the CAA? Yeah, the, the regulator here is the, uh, is the CAAC, which is the uh, uh, Chinese Civil Aviation Authority. And they basically have their headquarters in, 
in Beijing. It's a, sorry, it's the Civil Aviation Administration of China. Um, they, their headquarters is in uh, is in Beijing, and then it's separated into seven administrative zones. So, you know, all the rules will come out of headquarters. But you know, what we do find sometimes is that there is a bit of a difference in the way that rules are interpreted in those administrative zones. And I'll give you an example. As a foreigner, if you came over here to fly in the south of China, you might be able to come and fly on a verified foreign license, and that would be renewable after every 120 days. However, it has been known in other parts or other administrative centres that this uh, foreign verified license would only be valid one time, and then you know you could not renew. So you know that gives you an idea of some of the issues that we have in terms of getting a clarity on on issues and with you know with the regs is there different licenses like is it is there such a thing as a private license and a commercial license or you just have a a license yeah no absolutely i mean the the, the it, it it falls in line with icao standards and you know you can uh you can get a chinese private license for example um and you know convert that over or you use that ticket to, to convert over for uh, in, in the United States, we've had a, I've had a, or sent a few uh, Chinese students over to Mauna Loa helicopters, you know, to do exactly that. And basically, the uh, the rules that govern the licenses and you know general aviation here for helicopters, for example, and fixed wing, um, have been taken directly from the FARS over in the states. So part 61 over there in the states is pretty much part 61 here. And then it's modified, you know, to make it a little bit more um, acceptable to the Chinese, or to, for the Chinese to have their own, you know, slant, for example, on on those rules. So the training re- syllabus would be fairly recognisable for folks, and there'd be a, a theory component, uh, ab initio training, uh, leading up to, um, you know, some solo time, some navigation, and then a, a license test. Or, or is navigation a problem because of the restrictions? Look, Part sixty one in in America. For- for example, allows for private pilots to get their license after 40 hours. Now, it's about 45 hours, I believe, here in China, but everybody goes and sits their tests at 45 hours in China. You know, I don't, I didn't, I never knew anyone who, who passed their test at 45 hours over in the States or Australia for that matter. So, you know, that's the first thing. The second thing is there's very few people, if any, who do, who go solo. Solo is not something that they do. They don't do it in the military. They don't do it uh, as part of their civilian training as well. They, there seems to be a reluctance from people to get involved in any sort of emergency training. So auto rotations, for example, are not really taught. It's certainly on the private level. And obviously 180 autos are not taught either. Even some of the more experienced pilots in my own company, when I asked them about Auto rotations. They said straight ins, yeah, it's okay, but 180s, no. So I guess in China, if you have an engine failure, you've always got a green field or a nice landing strip in front of you, and you're always in the wind. Fair um, uh, you know, the, 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 you know, some many of the things have been have been have been brought over from the states. It's just that there needs still needs to be some work and some development to really bring it up to what I would consider to be international standards. Dan, early on, you talked about the, the maps and the fact that there's, there's no VFR maps. Uh, can you mm-hmm. expand on, on that a little bit as far as obstacles and wires and, and what you actually do use to get around? 
Yeah, but look, with, with regards to, uh, we have no VFR maps here in China at this point, and I think this is something that will be addressed at some stage in the future. But right now, we have no VFR maps, and we have nothing, um, no way of being able to uh, research any obstacles to aviation if we're doing any low-level work. So this is a problem. There is a tremendous amount of wires here, and there's also a uh, tremendous amount of uh, wire strikes here. So, you know, this is something that needs to be addressed by the industry. Just while we're on that topic, there needs to be a, a, a probably a, a better transparency in terms of accidents and accident investigations, you know, like we have you know, the ATSB, the NTSB in, in the States. There really isn't, you know, a, a, a very clear way of being able to identify, investigate, and then for people to learn from accidents here in China, and there's a lot of them. The rest of the navigation, well, you know, we work off GPS and we use we'll use IFR charts. So you'll see a lot of people who are going cross-country if we're taking one of our AS350s from Beijing to somewhere that's flyable rather than putting on a truck, we'll be using IFR charts and using those waypoints that are on IFR and plugging that into the GPS. Can you still get topographical or, maps as far as, you know, actual ground maps, even if they're not uh, aviation-specific? Uh, no. Oh, wow. Okay, so you're just doing the whole thing off an IFR chart? Pretty much. Okay. Interesting. <laughs> Thanks for challenges. All right, um, fuel. Uh, so what's the situation with fuel uh, where you are at the moment? Well, we have both have gas and, you know, for the 22 and the 44s that we've got there, and we also have Jet A. Uh, no issues at the moment for the for, uh, with fuel and fuel quality. Uh, there's no need to dye the, the avgas because, you know, it's only, I think it's 100, 100, 130 that's being used here. That's the only type of the avgas that, that, that we have here in China anyway. I don't know of any other issues with the fuel. And in fact, I think that BP recently has just started ex- expanding their um, uh, Jet A uh, distribution channels with a local partner here. So this is something that's going to get better. But, but again, you know, there's not a huge call for it at the moment, but, but it's, you know, infrastructure, fuel, infrastructure, airports, infrastructure, uh, navigation, maps, all of these things need to be developed. And this is one of the reasons why people with a little bit of experience in those areas have probably got a very good future here in, in China. Talking about the future, what's the outlook? How do you see that sort of developing in the next couple of years as far as you know, us as pilots and air crew? What things are going to change that will be interesting to us? I think that the pilot shortfall of 15,000 pilots for general aviation or generally 15,000 pilots for next year is, is way, way, way over the mark. Having said that, I think that the real opportunities and, and the outlook is really good. I mean, you, you're not going to have a country with 1.3 billion people and, you know, more liberalised airspace, and I think that's key. The more liberalised it becomes, the more the military let go of their rule over the, the airspace here, um, you're going to see more and more development. Um, you know... If you look at, there's no real electronic news gathering. CCTV have an operation, but that's more down in the south of China. There's a helipad on top of the CCTV building here in Beijing, but no one ever uses it. There is helipads on all of the you know, bigger hospitals here in Beijing, and there's some magnificent hospitals here, but there's no EMS here. And no one's really worked out how to pay for that. Now, I know this is a global problem. You know, do you pay for this through insurance or membership or what have you? But 
you know, something will change here. So I, I think that the outlook here is very bright, but there still needs to be a lot of work done on the basics, and that is, you know, the basics of training, the building of the infrastructure, the maps, and a willingness to work more with foreign experts because we do see a little bit of hesitation and uh, from more of, on some of the operators here, particularly some of the you know, military trained pilots. Uh, there are some tremendously skilled people who I know who have come across here and, you know, they can see the potential here, they want to work here, but there are certain blocks put up in front of them. And I think that once we jump those blocks, there's going to be massive strides made in this market. And I think to some people, a huge amount of money to be made as well. All right. And student pilot-wise, is there a, you know, a building demand for uh, pilots, like uh, and we're talking Chinese national for training uh, there? Do you, you see that being an export, whereas we're sending trainees overseas get trained to come back or is there enough training capacity there inside China to take care of that? No, 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 no. There's no way near enough training capacity here. There's only 12 registered schools here in the whole of China and if you look at, you know, the, the police forces that are here, for example, Shanghai sent all of their uh, cadets across to Hillsborough over in uh, Oregon. There are some, uh, I'm not too sure where Beijing send theirs, but, you know, the bulk of the the, the these guys are sending their cadets over to, to the United States for ab initio training. Uh, maybe some of these guys are going to Australia as well. I'm not too sure, to be honest with you. And the quality of training overseas, I think, is, is significantly better. You know, they come back here uh, with their and get their commercial licenses. And then you see, you know, a lot of these guys then going back overseas to get more advanced training, you know, and, and just looking from a... From a tactical training point of view, you see Brim Aviation in Oregon getting quite a few people getting uh, doing work in MD500, 600902, uh, particularly for the um, hoisting operations, for example, or they might be doing repelling. P1 or Priority 1 um, Air Rescue out of Mesa, Arizona, they come over here to China and train people in their, in their aircraft, which I think is a really good platform. So, you know, I think for foreign schools, to be targeting the Chinese market is a, you know, is a very, very good idea, um, particularly if they're looking sort of try and look beyond the normal training programs that they've got right now and say, okay, where is the Chinese market right now? And what can I train these people, say in Australia, to fly close to power lines because power line work is just tremendous amount of power line work. I mean, state grid has their own aviation company here, but they subcontract a huge amount of work. And if it wasn't for power line patrols, there really wouldn't be a lot of other companies apart from those ones who are doing oil and gas. So I think that's where the opportunities are. Uh, you know, 12 schools, probably 1,500 students, that includes Fixman, by the way, uh, can be pumped out of those 12 schools every year. And if the annual requirements are as high as everyone says they are, which they're not, but they're, you know, they're getting up, they, they will get there, there needs to be more people going overseas. All right, so we'll see a bit more of that cultural mixing and, uh, I guess, information exchange as that happens. I think it's a great, it'd be a great thing for the business. I mean, the best pilots in my company are civilian, uh, you know, have been civilian trained pilots, no doubt about it. For individual aircrew who are listening, is there things they can be doing to uh, make life easier or positioning themselves down the track if they do want to come across? 
uh, like you know should they, they bother like spending any time learning the Chinese language or you can operate there without that do they need to be looking at certain you know getting qualifications before they come across uh, look life would be so much easier if they had some amount of language skills there's no doubt about that you know I know that there's a couple of uh, companies on the on the internet who are saying that you know the market is so in need of pilots that you can come straight over here with 100 150 hours under your belt you know you're going to be in competition with Chinese students who come out so I, I think the newly trained pilots really would struggle to get a job here but those people who have an expertise in ENG, EMS, firefighting, agricultural spraying, sling load, mag survey, these skills are needed and you can command a healthy salary for all of those. In some instances, you'd be brought in and do consultancy before you started flying. In other instances, you may not do any flying at all. It really depends on what stage in, in your career that you're up to. But, you know, this market really, you know, the way I look at it was, imagine if you're a computer programmer and you came to a country that had never had computers before. You could look around there and, and really set the benchmark and come in, you know, and really make a difference. And I think that this is the sort of thing that, you know, if you've got a, if you've got a specific skill set, that could be a very easily marketable uh, skill set here in China. Dan, look, that's been awesome. There's a heap of information there, and I reckon folks will find it really, really interesting. We actually haven't mentioned um, your website or anything yet. So if folks want to have a look at uh, what you're doing and uh, I guess look at the, the Great Wall flights and things like that, uh, where can they go online to, to have a look at some of the things you've been talking about? Yeah, look, I mean, I can get some contact information at www.greatwallhelicoptertours.com or greatwallhelitours.com. Um, you know, that's a direct link just to our tour operation. Um, that I, I get actually, I get a tremendous amount of uh, of people contacting me through that. Uh, through there or, or you know, through LinkedIn and other sort of you know, professional mediums. But you know, that'll give you an idea of the, some of the things that we're doing on the tour. And you know, I welcome anyone who, who, who wants to find me an email or uh, get in touch if they do have an interest to come here uh, or uh, you know, have a specific skill set and to see if we can place. I have placed a few people in a couple of different positions here already in China a couple of lower hour guys, but uh, they, were, they were really you know, rare. I am involved in the placement of uh, the, the advanced training modules for the police here in Beijing right now. And uh, I think there's going to be an increasing need for that type of work. So, you know, it's something that I haven't had experience with, but, you know, I'm the only foreigner at my company and it makes it very easy for me to, to jump into those roles where I can, you know, pick and choose those companies or those individuals who can be strategically placed into areas here in China and uh, you know, hopefully uh, you know, they can add some real value. Awesome. Thanks, Dan. Uh, look, yeah, really appreciate the fact you can have a chat with us. So, so thank you. Yeah, no, it's been a pleasure. Thanks a lot. How was that? Did that match what you expected? Or have you got a new appreciation for what flying in China is actually like? We took our family for a Southeast Asian cruise about 14 months ago and finished with a seven-day trip in China. And it wasn't something I was really paying attention to when we were there. But when I was talking with Dan, I was thinking back, and I can't actually recall seeing any helicopters airborne when we were in Beijing and through Shanghai. 
Whereas when we were in Hong Kong, they were flying past all the time. The only really big thing that sticks out for me from a, a flying point of view on the trip was just the visibility. So it's really, really good weather when we were there. Uh, some of the days were fantastic, including the day we actually went up to the Great Wall. We had blue skies. But the day we caught the, the bullet train into Beijing, I remember sitting there looking at the window and just thinking about the visibility and how poor it was. And I would have panicked it around the, the 2K mark. If you've had an experience flying in China and want to share it with other listeners, then you can leave a comment over on the, on the show notes at rotarywingshow.com and just look for episode four. Today's episode has been sponsored by trainmorepilots.com. If you're looking to improve your aviation company's online marketing, then check out the free resources on the site. That's at trainmorepilots.com. In the next episode, we're going to be talking about UAVs, or unmanned aerial vehicles, and how you can get your helicopter flying fix on the cheap, and some of the risks to safety that UAVs pose to us as helicopter operators. Uh, so check that out in the next episode. You've been listening to the Rotary Wing Show again. I'm your host, Mick Cullen. If you like the show, don't forget to leave a review on iTunes, and please tell your friends and colleagues. Thoughts and opinions expressed on the show are those of the host and the interviewees, and don't reflect those of their employers. Fly safe. <laughs>